0: Elizabeth Strout, welcome to the show. We're very old friends, you and I, and I call you Liz, so I
1: will do that today. And it's nice to be here, Meg, with you as well. So thank you.
0: My pleasure. First of all, big congratulations on the recent news that your novel, O William, made the long list for the Booker Prize. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's wonderful. And you have a new novel coming out, Lucy by the Sea. Right. But today we're going to talk about your story, Home. So Annie Appleby, she's a character that you're revisiting here. Right. And you've created this whole ecosystem for your characters to live in. Did that start intentionally, or did that just grow?
1: It just grew. I had no intention of doing it, but I just realized as I started to, you know, work on one story that, oh, look, it's connected in some way, and it was just fun for me to find these different connections as long as they were organically already there waiting for me to discover them.
0: What did you want to find out about Annie and her mother?
1: In the story Home, it was very interesting for me to think Think of a woman at that point in her life of having to go into a home and there's a friend of mine here in Maine who deals with situations like that all the time and I talked to her about you know the process of somebody like that going into a home and and that she explained to me that it was done gradually and I just got very interested in that and it seemed to me that it would fall on Annie because she's Annie (laughs) you know and she's got a different life now and so She's got to come up and do that because her sister's just not capable of it.
0: In your story, Snowblind, where these characters also appear, you have this beautiful line: "What Annie did not say was that there were many ways of not knowing things. Her own experience over the years now spread like a piece of knitting in her lap, with shadows all through it." Such a, an exquisite line, and it and not knowing that's so central to the story. Home.
1: That's absolutely right, because Annie is living without knowing a lot of things about the life that she's living at that moment, and yet. At the very end of that story, I sort of draw back so that the narrator has a stronger voice all of a sudden, you know, so that we're a little bit outside of Annie's head and the narrator kind of takes over and lets us know what it is that Annie doesn't know at that moment.
0: How much did you know that she didn't know?
1: I just sort of found it out as I was writing it. It just came to me, you know, like her stepdaughter was unpleasant to her and then I realized, oh. Why would she be so unpleasant to her? And then I thought, okay, because she understands that her father is no longer interested in Annie in a certain kind of way. So, you know, in these ways, I sort of developed, I guess, what we would call the storyline. But I didn't start out knowing any of that. I just started out understanding, here's this older woman, and here's her young daughter, who's not so young anymore. Mm -hmm. And the daughter has to get this woman into that home
0: but it's not a direct line is it it's a sort of maze
1: no it's not at all it's a real maze and you know the fact that Jamie her brother who would have done all this died 2 years ago makes it more Annie's responsibility as well
0: and there's an undercurrent of trauma running through the family and running through the whole story and yeah it's so strong in my name is Lucy Barton and it comes up here in home. Right. And even Sylvia who's lost language and memories, she's still relitigating the past and she's still I guess telling herself a story about it.
1: She absolutely is and that was very interesting for me to also talk with this woman who deals with people in her situation because she helped me understand what the woman might remember and might not remember. Like for example she remembers that somebody, it turned out to be Annie, fainted at her own wedding. Right. And then Sylvia says Doesn't bode well, which I think was so interesting because out of the mouth of this woman who's on her way to go to a nursing home comes these moments of clarity almost. And yet in terms of her own marriage, she just consistently has to keep denying it.
0: What did that woman say to you? What kind of memories can we dredge up and what kind don't come back?
1: The state that Annie's mother is in is sort of in and out, which is why I started the story with that her mother's looking very blank and then looking engaged and how it sort of comes on and off in a certain way at that stage. So that was interesting to me to realize that her mother can be present for a few moments and then will not be present.
0: Also, it's about pleasure too, because that moment with the canned spaghetti where she's eating and it's canned spaghetti of all things, and she's taking great pleasure from it, even as she's eating and getting it on her sweater,
1: right? Exactly. And I have seen people do that. That was something that I recognized from my different works and nursing homes in different places in my far past but she also takes a pleasure in her shower yeah because she says to Annie feels good when Annie's drying her off mm-hmm. and that was touching to me that she said that
0: what did you do in nursing homes
1: I worked in them when I was in um, law school I was supposed to be the liaison between the patients and their families but she also doesn't know which I thought in its bizarre way made me feel so much better when the reader finds out that at the end that her mother will actually be okay there that her mother will start to talk as much as Annie used to talk her whole life. Even in Snowblind, Annie was just chatting all the time. That's Annie's nature to chat, chat, chat. And then it turns out that her mother will do the same thing. In the nursing home, we'll be just chatting away happily. And I thought, oh, that's so perfect to at least give the reader that. She's not going to be crying. She's going to be chatting like her daughter did.
0: Oh, it was brilliant. It was a wonderful way to sort of fuse them together in that way. I loved it. I absolutely love that. So the story deals with memory. And when you're talking about a nursing home and older people, we're dealing with memory and memory loss, but also our own memories is such a theme of everything
1: you write about. Yeah, because, you know, what is memory? Who knows what it is? (laughs) I mean, we think we know, but, you know.
0: Well, do you think flashbacks are real or are they just like something that your mind might light on? I always wonder about this when I'm reading or when I'm writing. Yeah I wonder
1: about that too because there are certain things that I could have sworn took place and then I somehow find out through another source that it was actually not at that time that that took place or something like that and that always rattles me because I'm not that sure of many things in my memory but these things that I feel quite sure about when they show up to actually not be the way I remembered them then I think, oh, well, we just, what are we doing? Just making up our whole
0: stories. (laughs) Yep. And it's fused in our minds. So I think the writer's job is to separate those strands and reconnect them as necessary. I guess so. We did an event a long time ago about character, and you said a line that I've thought about over the years, and I'll paraphrase it here. You said that Olive Kitteridge, when you began that book, you saw a large woman standing by a picnic table. And that was it. So you're an intuitive writer. I mean, that's what we've been talking about today as much as memory, right? Right.
1: Exactly. I have always been intuitive. You know, I seem to just sort of sniff my way through my intuitions. But based on what? Is there a word we can use that's not just
0: intuition? Like, your intuition is based on, we can play Mad Libs. Like, what is it? I'm trying to get at that
1: nature. I think it's just imagination. Do
0: you feel now with the world kind of going to hell in a handbasket, whatever that means, is fiction soothing? Is it comforting to write and read?
1: Oh Meg, that's such a good question. I don't really know. I think it's always comforting for me to be working on a piece of fiction because you know I had a professor once in college who used to say compose yourself in a composition. And of course, you know, we all sort of snickered about that, but I think of it frequently because I do think there is something composing about the composing process for me. But Mm -hmm. I hope that people are still reading fiction. But I'm worried about the future of fiction, but that's because I'm a fiction writer.
0: How do you know when you're done
1: with a character? I don't. I don't know when I'm done.
0: I would imagine that you might not have anything new and then suddenly after a period of time you suddenly
1: do. That's exactly what happened with Annie. I didn't think that I would return to Annie. In my studio I had many different drafts of different Annie stories that I had been writing over the last number of years and they weren't this story, they weren't home, but I realized when I came across all those different pieces of you know, scenes from Annie's life I realized, oh, she's obviously still been with me even though I thought that I was done with her.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm envious of the idea of having these characters and short pieces and novels that you can come to. It's a community of characters in a way. That's right?
1: how I've become to feel about it.
0: And are you like the mayor? No. No,
1: no, no. I'm way behind the curtain.
0: <laughs> oh, well, it's um, a beautiful story and I, I loved hearing it. I loved reading it and I'm so glad that you had more to say. It was
1: a very nice thing for me to hear it as well. It was almost like watching a play in a way.
0: It's bullying in a way, isn't it, to hear your own words? It's
1: funny, Meg, because it wasn't until the very end that I realized that was the pleasure for me of listening to that story, is that I didn't feel personally connected to it in a way. It was just a freedom that arrived for me to listen to that.
0: That's when it's really really over maybe for a writer that your active engagement with the story when you're listening like a reader in
1: some way when you're listening like a listener and it was that was just thrilling to think oh
0: right because there's nothing you need to do no. anymore there's nothing there's no worries about adverbs there's nothing you have to do nothing. to change there's no work you can listen and you can absorb it and you like it but listening to fiction, you know, such as on this show, there's something that connects us to being told stories when we're Yes, dead. yes.
1: It was true. Right.
0: And and it's also I think back to that question I was asking you about sort of the world. You hear something being read that someone has given care to and really tried to inhabit the characters and then it matters. it matters. It yes. makes it matter again.
1: It does. It does matter if you really are trying so hard to become you know, a different person, or to inhabit that person. Every detail of the story matters so much.
0: Thank you so much, Liz, for joining us today on the show and for this wonderful story. That
1: was such a pleasure. So nice to talk
0: to you, Meg. Thank you so much.